because you're not going to get gotchas, if you will, from a survey. What you are going to get from a direct engagement with a supplier is a lack of understanding on a particular topic, a gap in management procedure or policy, an unwillingness to participate or play in a particular topic. The gotchas come from that indirect evaluation. So you can use that in many different ways to support your business. ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance on the ESG report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I am extraordinarily pleased to have my good friend, former colleague, and supply chain risk management professional extraordinaire, Jared Connors. Jared, that long-winded introduction. First of all, welcome back. It's great to have you on a pod again. Tom, it's been too long. So Jared, could you tell our audience what you are up to these days? Lately, everything has been about the broader world of environmental, social, and governance in the context of understanding the supply chain. We're the perceived leader as the supply chain sustainability management company and organizations are coming to us where we're helping them with product compliance and conflict minerals and human trafficking and slavery. And they're saying, hey, I've got to look at this broader world of environmental, social and governance and help me with that context because I've got to make deeper connections with my suppliers and evaluations of risk and most importantly, their maturity level to these particular topics. So help me understand how I can do that. So you said a lot in there, Jared, and one of the things that Ascent has been a leader on over the time I've known the company and worked with you a little bit is on the sustainability prong. And you mentioned several of the key areas that Ascent has literally been one of the world's leaders on, and now you've been able to coalesce that into ESG. So I was wondering if you could talk about sort of the internal journey which has led Ascent to now becoming one of the leaders in ESG compliance and a wide variety of other ESG topics. Yeah, you bet. Ascent has worked on a variety of different regulations to support its clients through their compliance journey from substance regulations to uh, modern-day slavery regulations. And within that context, you often have reputational impacts, compliance in terms of you know, where is the reputation of my company? How am I addressing some of these things that aren't always in the regulatory landscape, but are very parcel to the regulatory landscape? And so that natural extension for us is to support these companies when they're engaging their supply chains to look at a wide variety of these topics. You know, there are something like, I'm not sure, 34 jurisdiction, I think, around the world that have modern day slavery regulations. And then you look at this in the broader context of labor and human rights. Well, companies need to assess their suppliers and their ability to support a broader context of just the regulation of human trafficking and slavery when it comes to their supply chain, because there's an impact to their reputations as well there. And of course, to the, the context of uh, receiving goods and services from their suppliers to not just the impacts of a regulation, but also what they might be doing with the consumer market, the hiring of new employees and talent to make sure that they're walking the talk on their sustainability reporting or commitments to such. So as we start to go down that rabbit hole with our 
customers, we start to explore ways that we can help them in the context of their supply chain sustainability journey. So it's really a natural fit for us to think about the broader context of what new regulations are coming out, but also what is the market context of sustainability topics as well from the standpoint of oftentimes reputational protection. Jared, one of the reasons I've enjoyed our conversations over the years and frankly have learned so much from you is because you come out of conflict minerals background. You've been in this area for many years, having a different focus than myself, which was more anti-corruption compliance. And your work in conflicts minerals helped inform me and my thinking of a broader supply chain risk management and, and indeed a third party risk management in the following areas not your first-party contractors, not even your second-party contractors, but how far down the line do you have people in your supply chain that could either touch a conflict mineral or put a conflict mineral into a chain which would work its way up to a U.S. company for which it could be sanctioned for or have other penalty or even reputational damage. So I was wondering if you could really remind the non-conflict mineral professional listening to this podcast, why that has always been so important in the conflict minerals compliance realm and how you've been able to bring you and your Ascent colleagues have been able to bring that into a much broader supply chain and third-party risk management strategy. Yeah, well, when you look at conflict minerals and, and people say, what is it? What are you trying to get at here? What's your end game with this regulation called conflict minerals? Dodd-Frank 1502 to be specific. The idea is that it's one of the first regulations out there that support greater transparency to your upstream, getting deeper in your supply chain sustainability efforts, in this case, the social aspects of responsible sourcing. And there are other regulations that are following suit, like the Uyghur Forced Labor Act. I'm summarizing the title of it there, but it's all about the context of do I have goods within my supply chain that could originate from Uyghurs or forced labor of Uyghurs in China, looking at environmental topics and the context of greenhouse gas reportings is one really good hot topic or buzzword right now is what am I doing to gain transparency into those emissions that are created through my supply chain and the gathering of products, parts, and raw materials to support the assembly of my finished product? So Conflict Minerals was always about this promotion of transparency to the upstream in your supply chain. And if you think about Conflict Minerals in that context, it's really a pioneering regulation that's created companies to look well beyond their tier one suppliers. And the idea of getting deeper in your supply chain and grabbing more context out of where your materials are coming from says, am I having accountability or am I creating accountability in my supply chain to ensure that these materials are delivered to me in a responsible way? Not just mined, not just mined out of the ground, but also the way that they're refined and processed, delivered. Because conflict minerals regulation isn't just about source of origin verification, it's also about chain of custody which means the entire context of the supply chain has a validated chain of custody, like Uyghur forced labor. I'm looking at my supply chain in general to understand that I've got validated chain of custody to ensure that my goods, products, parts, or raw materials don't originate from potential forced labor to do with Uyghurs. You could put that in the context of current sanctions issues that are being delivered right now and companies talking about sanctions that are being passed down on a regular basis recently within Treasury in the context of specially designated nationals and entities going, do I have relevance or do I have context to anywhere within 
my supply chain to these? So actually, that series of questions was really designed to set up the background of what you have done professionally and some of the work you and your colleagues at Ascent have done, because I want to now move into ESG directly. And one of the things you said early on in this podcast struck me as incredibly important, and that was the term reputational damage. You and I have both worked to help clients avoid regulatory fines and penalties, perhaps violation of a law or other sanction. But in 2022, it turns out reputational damage may be the greatest fine and penalty that a company can have assessed against it. That can be in the court of public opinion. It can be with customers, employees, or other stakeholders. It can be in a wide variety of ways, including shareholders, but other stakeholders. And you have a great example of how Ascent was able to help a company prevent, frankly, a huge issue around reputational damage, utilizing some of the tools that you guys have developed around ESG. So I was wondering if you could walk us through that story. Yeah, you bet. A really interesting, in the context of the current environment of COVID, is the idea that you might not always get the visibility you used to have within your supply chain. During COVID, we saw the world kind of come to a standstill. We weren't out there visiting suppliers. We were getting some companies that were coming to us saying, you know, I'm not getting a lot of engagement with my suppliers on these various topics. You know, is there other ways or tools that I could look at my suppliers in the context of of risk evaluation. So we call that indirect monitoring. And our indirect monitoring essentially looks at the public domain. So we had a, a variety of companies that were coming to us in the context early on in 2020 looking at PPE suppliers, personal protective equipment suppliers like surgical masks, uh, gowns, gloves, face shields, all of those things. Obviously, an incredibly hot topic in the last two years in the supply of those. And if you remember in 2020, you saw people in the grocery store wearing surgical gloves, not just masks, before we learned about how COVID was transmissible. And there was a very interesting story that came out in the early part of 2020, very early on in 2020, before we were even calling it COVID, was in the surgical glove manufacturing world. Now, prior to COVID, two-thirds of the world's supply of surgical gloves originated out of the country of Malaysia. And there had already been in 2018 and 2019 some context of withhold release orders by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency against a major supplier of surgical gloves. And so we were monitoring these companies. And as it turns out, we weren't just monitoring these companies for the purposes of our medical device or life sciences customers. We were also looking at this because companies all over the place, even somebody who may have different facilities, nothing to do with the medical space, were providing their employees surgical gloves to ensure safety of those employees in in process. And, And our indirect monitoring solution does one thing really well. It does, well, it does a lot of things really well, but one thing it does really well is trend analysis. And this story started with one single tweet by an employee of this company who, in basically summarizing what that person said was, I'm not being paid for the work I'm doing because for the fear that, in their opinion, was the company, if they pay me the money they owe me, I'll quit. So they keep me coming back by not paying me everything they owe me. So other employees and people started to say things over social media about the company. Now, you would never, in the context of these topics, go to a customer and ring the alarm bell and say, hey, look at this one tweet without context. But you might track that for trend analysis to see if those stories become bigger. 
you know, I might have some reputational impacts for working with a company that's engaged in unsavory labor practices. Now, as this story started to progress and we did this trend analysis through our indirect monitoring solution, we found that others started to pick up this story. And the first one was an investigative journalist who said, hey, I want to go and investigate this organization for the context of what's being reported here by these individuals. And I want to see if there's some truth to it. And when they came out with their story, they started to give numbers, context, how many employees were being affected by forced overtime, how many employees were not being paid wages. And they started to give that actual materiality, a life to this story that, that was beyond just speculation. And then the risk level for our clients started to raise. Go fast forward to the summer of 2020, and this company found itself on a WRO, a withhold release order by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency, effectively making it illegal to import goods from this particular company. Now, this is a very public story, and everybody can look this up. The company's name is Top Glove. And within the context of that story, when we were informing our clients about this trending situation with their supplier and it became bigger and the snowball started to take weight as it rolled downhill, our customers were well informed and realized that they could move their sourcing away from that supplier to avoid and demonstrate for that supplier, hey, we don't want to do business with you if this is the kind of reputation that you've got. But really, Tom, it's not just about reputational impacts in that context because it's about continuity and supply, making sure that you're working with a company who can continue to supply you after an adverse event, making sure that you can avoid penalty from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency if you had imports, making sure that you can avoid paying a supplier who no longer has the legal ability to transmit goods into the U.S. So this story started out with reputational impacts and led to a lot of other very tangible risks from a monetary perspective and regulatory impact perspective for companies in a wide variety of verticals. That's the type of story that is what gets compliance professionals' attention. And the reason it gets the compliance professionals' attention is that that is one of the biggest struggles that particularly non-supply chain professionals have is how do I go down the chain? How can I fully assess what our risks are? But what companies who have done that and who have gone through that exercise have found is that from a business efficiency perspective, it allows them to see what gaps they may have, what risks they may have, not simply from a regulatory perspective, but also from the business perspective. Have you found that your clients really are able to use that type of information far beyond simply just compliance and use that information to help them run their businesses better now? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different areas of focus that companies can utilize that for. Looking at that broader context of what's available in the public domain. So I like to call this direct and indirect engagement. I'm going to directly engage my suppliers and ask them about their internal controls, their management procedures, their ability to provide metrics on certain topics to me to support my environmental or sustainability ESG journey, whatever terminology you may be using for your program within your organization. And then I'm going to go and do that indirect evaluation. What's out there in the ether about this particular suppliers? Because you're not going to get gotchas, if you will, from a survey. What you are going to get from a direct engagement with a supplier is a lack of understanding 
on a particular topic, a gap in management procedure or policy, an unwillingness to participate or play in a particular topic. The gotchas come from that indirect evaluation. So you can use that in many different ways to support your business. Look at the current environment of the proliferation of sanctions currently today that are happening in the market and companies' concerns to the proliferation of these sanctions and where they might impact them through their supply chain. And the truth is, is that you can't just look at your first level. You can't look at Acme Corporation as your supplier and stop there and say, well, I don't see anything out there on Acme. You have to get deeper. You have to look at the world around Acme Corporation by thinking of those legal affiliations, beneficial ownership, where those risks might be. So the traditional compliance officer says, oh, I'm going to use this in the context of sanctions reviews, litigations concerns, bribery and corruption, the traditional bribery and corruption or Office of Foreign Asset Control concerns that I might have in working with a third party. But the procurement professional says, well, I've got a broader context to work with this company. So I'm concerned with continuity of supply, what's happening in terms of the geography events to this supplier. Did they refuse to tell me that their facility burned down and yet it's on the front page news for the local newspaper where they operate? Did they have a labor protest? or are they being accused of labor rights violations? These things are all part and parcel to the business review of working with suppliers. And as we start to think of the future of ESG reporting and the potential for regulations here in the United States, like the Mandatory Climate Disclosures Act that's very likely to pass in 2022 that mandates that companies get into the broader context of their climate disclosures, companies can't rely on, hey, supplier, tell me about these numbers, these GA greenhouse gas emissions numbers, I need to also do some evaluations on those suppliers in other ways as well to understand if they can walk that talk because that has huge implications to me doing business. But the beauty of that is that you learn so much more about opportunities for cost savings and efficiencies within the organization. Let's pick on greenhouse gas emissions for a second. I go to my supply chain and I am looking at, or even within my own company, I am looking at opportunities for reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. I can't simply just rely on turning my power off. I need to look at other opportunities for reduction goals. And when you look at this and you're saying, I'm using greenhouse gas emissions reporting as a reputational impact, you actually identify certain cost savings. Like let's say a trucking company who institutes a no idle clause with their trucks, meaning they don't allow their drivers to leave that truck on when unloading and loading in the yard. And they say, let's turn that vehicle off. That has immediate implications on cost savings for fuel, not CO2 emissions alone. Here in the United States, 30% of our emissions come from vehicle use, transportation across the United States. And so 30% of our total emissions is a huge number. And think about it, if we all had a no idling clause with those commercial vehicles, we could institute a massive cost savings in terms of fuel. So not just a reputational thing, but also I can identify within the context of ESG, environmental, social, and governance, I can identify savings as well. Long way around the barn there, Tom, but I hope that answered your question. It did, Jared. Unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information on Ascent or the topics we've touched on in this podcast, what would be the best way for them to find out? The best way is come to our website, ascent.com to make sure that you can get in touch with us, learn more about our platforms, our solutions, and we'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Well, Jared, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. Look forward to it, Tom. Thank you.